0: So most of you already know me, but in case you don't, um, I'm Mark Bussard, and uh, I'm glad to give Dave a break, Pastor Dave a break today. (laughs) Glad to be here to wrap up a sermon series that uh, Pastor Dave started three weeks ago, One Nation Under God, and I'm going to start with kind of a brain teaser this morning. I know it's cruel on a day like today to give you, um, you know, brain work, a puzzle, uh, but really, this whole series has been a bit of a has been a um, uh, some brain work. You know, it's not because the ideas are really so complicated, but um, uh, but hard to present clearly, right, Pastor Dave? And 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 move, you know, from one thought to another and really make sense and then to make a practical application for us every day in our very complicated lives. So here's the puzzle. All right, so you're going to see five images on the screen. They're all maps. And I want to see if you can figure out something that all five of these maps have in common. So Justin starts scrolling. When, if you figure it out, give a shout or raise your hand or. Might have to go through it twice, Justin. Anyone? Okay, Bob? Exactly right. You win the prize. Right. 10% off your offering today. <laughs> Is that okay, Pastor Dave? Yeah, what was, what was the answer? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, you couldn't hear it. All five of these geographical entities used to be a single entity, and they have split or divided at some point in their history. North and South Carolina were once the Carolina colony in 1712. There were some differences between the people in the North and the people down around Charleston. And they, they had an amicable divorce. Okay? Split, all right? Virginia and West Virginia were a single state until 1861. And when Virginia seceded from the Union and became part of the Confederacy, West Virgin- the people of that part of the state said, we don't want anything to do with that. And they seceded from Virginia. Um, all right. You have to be of a certain age to have ever heard of Czechoslovakia. But it was a part of the Soviet uh, sphere or empire. And in the early 90s, as the Soviet Union fell apart and all of its satellite countries became independent, the Czechs and the Slovaks said, we don't want to be one country. And so they separated. Sudan, in Africa, had a Muslim-dominated government which was persecuting the the, tr- the tribal people and the Christians in the southern part of the country. And after a vicious, bloody civil war, South Sudan got its freedom. And The real poster child for breakups is the nation of Yugoslavia, which should have never been a country in the first place. And and again, with the uh, the Soviet Union disintegration, Yugoslavia said, we're going our own way. Well, I'm going my way, and you're going your way, and you're going your way, and you're going your way. It actually broke up into, I think it's seven or eight different countries today. So we're in this series, One Nation Under God, and the history of America, with the exception of the period of the Civil War, we can't really imagine breaking up into constituent countries, could we? Or could we? Of course, there have always been disagreements, there's always been regional differences, but who can imagine, who among us today could imagine the United States breaking up into two or three or, or whatever, you know? Maybe two coastal countries and the Midwest, or or could that happen? Can, could it happen that, that the United States would not be one nation after a while? But the divisions today seem more hostile, more intractable than certainly ever before in my lifetime. And maybe if there's anyone here, if there's anyone here who's older than me, um, <laughs> or maybe someone who's 200 years old, maybe there's been a time when the United States, is, when America has been more divided than this. I sure can't remember it. And so the, the series that was developed by the staff of the Trinity family, One Nation Under God with a question mark. One Nation is part of that question. Under God is another one because a lot of people would take issue with that today as well. Atheists and agnostics would like that dropped from the Pledge of Allegiance, taken off our coins and currency. But more than that, rather small percentage of people who, who are atheists, there's a huge and growing number of people who just couldn't care less about God and God's role in our nation. So, where do, we go? where do we go with that? That question of a nation being one nation under God is not, is not unique to our country, of course. Christians in, uh, in, in Russia or in Iran or in Albania or in Sweden or in Japan also rest with the issue wrestle with the issue, how do I be a Christian person? How do I be a Christ follower in my country, whatever it is? Some countries are totally okay with people being Christians. Others are ambivalent at best, or in some cases, hostile. How do you be a Christian in in any country? How do we be a Christian here in a nation which may not or may no longer support and endorse our values and our beliefs? Let's just, for just a second, recap where we've been so far. In week one, Pastor Dave uh, reminded us that we, we are called to be peacemakers not winners we have this mindset uh maybe <laughs> for some of us it may be an ethnic thing it may be a denominational thing or maybe it's just human nature we want to be right we want to win but jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of god we're called to be peacemakers not winners in week 2 Pastor Dave introduced or elaborated on the doctrinal idea of the two kingdoms that there's a difference between following and serving God and being a citizen of a country. In some ways that's that's not, you know, hard brain activity, unless you live in some countries where politics and religion are so blended. That they, don't, that they don't consider that a division. But even we, you know, we many in America have fought over the years. This is a Christian nation. And it's easy to blur the lines between faith and politics. So that was an important thing for us to think through. Week three, last week, Pastor Dave reminded us that in general... As Christians, we are called to respect and obey and pray for the civil authorities. In other words, to be good citizens. But only in so far as those authorities do not command us to do something contrary to what God tells us to do. As it says in Acts chapter five, we must obey. When that happens, we must obey God rather than men. So today we want to kind of pull some threads together and wrap it up. And really, it kind of comes under this question. How do I be a good citizen and a good Christian? For some people, being a Christian citizen, being a a good citizen and being a good Christian equates to political activism. Some kind of... Activity with a spiritual agenda. Some people have always seen America as a Christian nation or believe that it was at one time. And so then they think laws need to be passed that reflect Christian beliefs and values. But of course, not all Christians agree on what those values should be. Two Christians reading the same Bible at the very least, may have a whole different set of priorities and may even be on opposite sides of the same value question. So for some, that might mean uh, overturning Roe versus Wade, but for someone else, it might mean passing anti-discrimination laws or raising the minimum wage or being a sanctuary city or a sanctuary church those are things that some believers feel very deeply about, and they work to make them political realities as well. Have you heard that old expression, you can't legislate morality? Um, I don't know if that's said very much anymore. It used to be said a lot, and you have to stop and think about that. Like so many things, it's a half-truth. It's true that laws cannot make people more moral in their hearts, okay? But laws aren't intended to change hearts. They're designed to change behaviors. And that's two different things. Laws don't really make people more fair or more compassionate or more generous but they can require actions that are fair or compassionate or generous. That's a little complicated, isn't it? So the next time you say, the next time you hear someone say, well, you can't legislate morality, just stop them right there and say, why not? What do laws do? What are laws about if they're not about morality? So often the question is simply, whose morality? Who decides what's right or wrong, good or bad? And how do those things become laws? Okay. Well, if Christians work to effect political change that reflects Christian values, does that make America a more Christian nation? Does it move us closer to one nation under God? Can a Christian really be a political activist and at the same time be peacemakers as Pastor Dave reminded us a few weeks ago that we're supposed to be? I feel like I'm mostly asking questions this morning rather than helping you with any answers. Maybe that's partly because in in this whole area of the Christian's relationship to the government, there is not one right answer. There is not one way for every Christian to be. Everyone needs to live out their Christian faith as God leads and guides them to do that. And while God's truth is a constant, how we reflect it and live in it May be a little different from person to person, and certainly we do need Christian activists, Christian politicians. We should be very thankful that there are Christians in Congress, and in the legislature, and you know, in in a lot of political places. We need Christians there, or Christians who work for uh, Congress persons, or legislators, or whatever so that there is Christian impact there, but that activism isn't for everyone. Not everyone is called to be that kind of Christian in their culture and their society. When the staff of of Trinity designed this series, one of the suggested scripture passages for today for week four was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. And I read that and I, I could see some connection to the series, but it felt a little a little vague or whatever. So I went back and I read the whole chapter, chapter five of 2 Corinthians 2. And while it's not by any means talking about politics, I said this gives us some guidance on how to live the kind of lives we're supposed to live, including in our citizenship. And so I saw in it three things that I want to wrap up with today, kind of share with you as guidelines for being a Christian in America In a politicized environment, how do we live in that? How do we deal with that? So, here's the first point. While we are citizens of an earthly nation, we know that we have a higher citizenship. That's That's not news to everybody. We recognize that as Christians, even as loyal American citizens, we have a higher loyalty to God and we have another homeland that we're already citizens of and we're waiting, waiting to go there. Here's the, here's the part of Second Corinthians 5 that that's based on. It's a, you, you heard some of this, so I'm repeating from the scripture reading that Pastor Dave Reed read. So St. Paul says this, now we know, I wonder if I have the same translation that you do. I'm going to read it off the screen just to make sure. Now, we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, We are away from the Lord, for we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Why is this important and what does it have to do with what we're talking about today? The problem with being a human being in the world is that we we tend to feel very much at home here. We get very used to this being home, even though the scriptures say our home is far away in space and time, but we feel pretty comfortable here and we forget that we're not at home. We're just on a journey on our way home that changes how we relate to our environment that we're living in. It's pretty interesting how, how often the Bible reminds us that this is not home. Let me just share uh, two of them quickly. One is 1 Peter 2, verse 11. And he says there Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And in Hebrews uh, chapter 11, this is, if you're familiar with Hebrews, there's this long section where uh, the writer talks about the great heroes of the faith of the past. Abraham, Moses, the prophets, all this kind of stuff. And then he says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. You know, when you're on a business trip or on vacation, you don't feel a sense of ownership on your hotel room, right? You may really like it. It may have a more expensive and comfortable bed than you have at home, but it's not home. You're very conscious that you're on your way to somewhere. It's temporary. And what's coming, and after a while, you only wanna be in that hotel room for so long, and you say, I wanna go home. I want my own house, and I want my own bed to sleep in. So, point one as we think about ourselves as citizens of this country, don't get too comfortable here. This is not permanent, this is temporary. Secondly, Paul says that we are to live to please God. Let me follow, let me read that with you, um, Justin. So, because of that first part, therefore, uh, because we're confident that God has planned something else for us, we make it our goal to please him, whether we at home are at home in the body or away from it. We, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while well in the body, whether good or bad. At first blush, that sounds a little scary. You know, um, we have to please God because someday he's going to be standing there saying, you are really bad. Except that's not what Paul is saying because when God judges us on the last day, He's going to look at us through the rose-colored glasses of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he's going to say, oh yeah, you're one of my perfect children, come on in. Still, Paul says, we are to live to please God. And in our lives in general and in our relationship to our country and our citizenship specifically today, we need to make it our highest priority to please God, to determine what it is that God wants us to do and then try and live that way. That seems obvious when we're sitting in church, but the reality is when it comes to issues, the conflicts, our push often comes from somewhere besides God, from the media perhaps, from celebrities, uh, from, uh, from our circle of friends who all feel the same way about something, or from human wisdom that we have heard and learned. Not from God. And so as we, as we deal with the conflicts that as citizens we, and as Christians that we face, the question is, what does God want me to do? And by the way, he won't tie a note to a rock and throw it through your window. I'm not trying to oversimplify this. It's not always easy to know what God wants us to do, but that's the Christian life. The life of prayer and study of God's word, the life of repentance, the life of figuring out what God wants us to do. Thirdly, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 tells us, that we do have a lot to contribute to our culture. So at the end of this chapter he says, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. That doesn't mean to be scared of him. It means to respect him, to stand in awe of him. We try to persuade others. That's an important thought. We are here to persuade people For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. All right, as we grow in our understanding of what pleases God, we discover that we do have a lot to share with other people, with our country. Part of that is things like our understanding of human nature, of what is right and wrong, a lot of things that we pull out of of God's Word. But the main thing we realize that Paul focuses on here is that people, people all around us, people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people in our neighborhood, they desperately need Jesus. Oh yeah, they may indeed need a higher minimum wage or more equality. They may need kind and generous treatment because they are immigrants, even illegal immigrants. There are a lot of other things that may be true, but what they need above everything else is Jesus. And our primary message as ambassadors, as Christ's ambassadors is the message of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of hope, a message that they too can have a home to look forward to when Jesus comes back. I have to insert in here for just a moment, I've been speaking to this group of people as if all of you already know this, know Jesus already have this hope, this peace, this reconciliation and I shouldn't assume that because before we can be ambassadors for Christ we need to come to the realization that Christ is for us that our sins are forgiven that we do in fact have an eternal heavenly home and if you're on that fence so to speak or if If you've been uncertain about that or just haven't believed that, I would just like to invite you today to consider the gift that Christ has provided for you. Make it your own. And then you have also the opportunity and the privilege of being an ambassador of that message to other people around us. This is the main message that we try to persuade people to see, to hear, to understand, and to believe. Remember I said earlier that old cliche, you can't legislate morality. Meaning truthfully, you can't change people's hearts by passing laws. But people's hearts do change when they come to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's our opportunity, that's our goal. God's spirit working in people's hearts makes them more just, more compassionate, more generous, more righteous. That we are called to work on. A Christian nation is not one where religion rules the government and the courts but one where more and more people are coming to know God through Jesus Christ. And their hearts are being shaped and molded to be like God's heart. When that happens, nations change. When we see, when we say one nation under God, we're not claiming that only America is under God. Every nation is under God whether they know it or not because God rules. And God rules as much in Afghanistan as he does in Europe or Mexico or the United States or anywhere else. He chooses presidents and senators and governors and mayors. We think we're voting and voting is important because God does work through people. But at the end of the day, God decides who's going to be the human leader of Russia or Sudan or Slovakia or America. Every nation is under God whether they know it or not, whether their rulers or their people acknowledge it or not. When we as Christians say one nation under God, we're acknowledging that we live with that awareness and that shapes our citizenship. You know, we are really blessed to live in this country. No, it's not perfect by a long shot. Maybe some would say by some standards, it was better at points in the past. Still, this is a blessed nation, a nation that at times has been a force for freedom and justice and peace in the world. Being both a Christian and an American, is complicated but it is an opportunity and we have the great calling to be christ's ambassadors ambassadors of reconciliation let's do that should we pray about that because it's hard oh lord god you rule america and everywhere else and you've placed your people here and in other countries to be ambassadors To know that we are not at home, home lies in the future and in another place, but you have put us here to speak for you, to be messengers of your compassion, your holiness, your justice, your generosity. Lord, uh, strengthen us in our faith so that we uh, will be constantly, by the way we live and the things we say and the things we do. We'll be speaking on your behalf and for you. Bless our country. Bless us as citizens and as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen.